Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you are made for more. Here's our latest message. Peter 15 says this, and if you have your Bibles, open it up. If you don't, you should start bringing your Bible. Me and Kelly are like, we're bringing our Bible no matter what. No more iPhone. Let's read it together. It says this in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, come some of our men, uh, come choose, come choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill as long as, As Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that Moses' hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, which is very interesting, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of, the, of Amalek from under heaven. Last verse, um, verse 15, sorry. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. You guys can be seated. So as we go into these next couple of weeks, we're in the, the month of September, and September usually is a time where we're recalibrating from the summer season. Maybe this is the last vacation for some people, so they're gone, right? But nevertheless, like school has started, jobs are going back up for the teachers that work in the Chino Valley. Um, things are just getting busy. Other teachers all over, Riverside and, and uh, Harupa Valley and Pomona, we, just, we represent a lot of different teachers in the house here. And so school starting, high schoolers, junior hires, uh, little ones are going back to school. And so parents and families start getting back into like the rhythm of life again. And so what we wanted to do as a community, something that I felt really compelled to do, is as we continue to grow, because God is growing the number of our church on a weekly basis at times, or at least people are visiting. So you might be coming here and you're like, maybe it's been a couple of months, maybe it's just a couple of weeks, but like, what does this community believe? That should be like the first question that comes to your mind, right? What, what do we believe? And so what we want to do over the next course of, the, of this month is we're going to talk about what we believe and how it is inspired through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and his scripture and his word. Okay, and so this week, um, and by the way, Kelly's not here. She might be with baby Zoe somewhere. She's in the back. Kelly's going to preach this uh, coming a couple of weeks from now. So we got to shout her out for that. But we established this church um, really around 2017, 2018, and then we had a launch team, and then it started, it literally started in my mom and dad's house and in a living room, and it grew, and now we're here. But nevertheless, there is a conviction that from the beginning of, of this, this koinonia, this church, this coming together, we wanted to be for the one, right? So you see that out on the lobby, the for the one lobby, or the little neon light, right? It looks kind of cool. We have it on some of our shirts. 
But as we grow, I, I have really been like feeling this kind of itch. We've been talking about it the last couple of weeks of like, we need to now develop and grow and mature. Now we need to start taking on not just milk, but like heavy food. And as a community, we're growing and we're learning, but like, are we really growing and are we really learning? And so there are two things that I want to really start establishing when it comes to our mission. So we know we're for the one. We say that all the time. That's, that's missional, okay? The next is, which I'm going to talk about today, is we're for the presence of God. We're for presence, meaning we're spirit-led, meaning we're convicted how that looks. And we get much of that not only from the Old Testament, but from the New. And then there's another that we wanted to really establish within our core beliefs, and it's that we're for radical discipleship. Radical discipleship. So over the next coming weeks and months and really over this next year, multiple years ahead, I will be not only me and Kelly modeling what does this look like, but I'm going to be calling that out in you as well. How are you radically following Jesus? It should be radical in and of itself, but in this day and age, it's not. And so we're going to go through these sort of pillars that establish who we are as a community as we grow and as we mature. But today what I want to talk about is what does it mean to be for presence? And I'm not gonna necessarily go through all of the details of that, but there's something that God put on my heart that I wanna share with us in our community as we move forward. And the title of this talk is, is Contending, or it's Presence, but if I had a subtitle, it would be Contending for Spiritual Awakening. Contending or fighting or standing firm or, 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 or waging war against the forces of evil for a spiritual awakening. And we'll discover not just for you, that is important, but for the kingdom of heaven and what God is wanting to do in us, in the world around us. So we look at this passage of scripture with, the, with Amalek and the Amalekites and with Moses. This is the first time, by the way, they begin to go into battle. They cross over the Dead Sea. Moses splits with his rod. This rod represents sort of God's voice, God's movement. They saw he would put the rod in water, and the water turned red on the different plagues. And so there was just, there's something special about this rod. And so it says Moses goes up with Aaron and her on top of the mountain to look down to see this army because Amalek and his people, the Amalekites, are waging war. They're trying to contend ground against these new people that are sort of wandering in the desert. Many theologians would argue that it was like, like millions that came from slavery into this new space. And by the way, they were not warriors. They were slaves. The, the only thing they knew for generations was slavery. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't even know how to carry a sword, right? But Joshua's sort of commissioned, this is the first time he comes out in the story, and he's, it, so he's leading this army and if you pay close attention, it's a very peculiar story that's taking place. So I just want to go through the context. You might ask yourself, what is this story about? Moses, his hands going up? Well, that's definitely that, but it's much more. There's, there's a lot deeper things going on. It's, I would argue it is a story of God training his people. And not just training his people for any given reason, but it's training his people to be in partnership with him. Many times in our walk with faith, in our following Jesus, we, we don't graduate to, I would say, the more important phase where it's not about you anymore. It's not necessarily the battles that you need God to fight 
for you, but it's, God, how do I contend ground for your kingdom? How do I step out of this ego? That's important. We, we follow Jesus and we stop cussing. That's a good thing. <laughs> or we stop, you know, like stepping into sin on a regular basis. We start getting really convicted. Maybe we start giving for others. Everyone has different gifts and you're like compelled, you're called, you're, you're wooed towards something when it comes to following Jesus. And it's really big at first. It's like, man, this is so amazing. And then you start judging other people when you get Pharisaic, right? You're not doing these things. And it's like, man, I've been following Jesus for like 10 years. Like, chill. But nevertheless, the goal of Jesus in maturity is not for you. It's not just for you. It's for others. Okay? And so how, how is God training his people in partnership with him? I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's like that psalm, this is how I fight my battles. Instead, it should be this is how we fight God's battles. This is how to fight God's enemies with him, okay? So key takeaways of training in partnership with God is from the careful structure of the narrative, it is clear that the battle was won by each person doing his part. It just mentions Joshua or Amalek. It only mentions Joshua, Moses, her and Aaron, but there is a whole army with them. I mean, imagine like we have been in slavery for thousands and thousands of years, and we cross over and we see God do these crazy things, and the chariots are falling into the Dead Sea, and we're on the other side, and it's like, man, that was so cool. Wow. And then we start like, okay, where do we go now? Like, okay, we're following Moses, and he's our leader, and he's starting to establish us, and now there's these, these people, these Amalekites that are in this land, they're like, hey, this is our space. And they start hearing of the, the, the rumble as they start to approach them. And I could imagine Joshua saying, all right, guys, we're going to fight right now. And they're like, okay, like, what do I do with the sword? Like, what do we do? We don't have any, like, I don't even know how to do this. And it's like, Moses makes it clear, I'm going to go up in the mount on, on top to oversee what's going on. Many times we're like right here with, with the battle, and that's not where the battle is. The battle is, is an aerial view as we look down to see what God is up to. It's also a, a clear that God could, could have taken the Amalek army by himself, by the way. We know this about God. He could have wiped out this army. He does it multiple times, many times throughout the scripture. He takes matters into his own hands, but he's trying to train the people. He's trying to train us. Essentially, Amalek is first God's enemy, not first Israel's enemy. So we must be aware who the enemies of God are and partner with him and contend the land against the schemes of the devil. This is a pattern, by the way, that repeats throughout the whole scripture. So we partner with God in two ways, okay? The first, like I said, is personal. I just want to go here for a moment as we start to discover what does it mean to be for presence? What does it mean to contend? What does it mean to desire a spiritual awakening? You must contend and fight for your own soul. The scripture says in 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. You, watch it. And he's speaking specifically to like an elder of a church. So this kind of goes to more of the shepherds and the elders. But I would say all of us should, should consider this. We got to watch our life and doctrine really closely. 
It says persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Or yourself and your family. Or yourself and the people around you that listen to you, that follow you. So what are you allowing in your mind, I, I would love to ask. What, what are you allowing in your mind on a regular basis, right? For you and your soul and your doctrine, what are you allowing? Are you contending for the mud that comes against your house? I sort of think when you look at that, that word watchman, it's sort of like, if I can just give an analogy, this, this, you may, let's say you have a house and it's your house and you just live in it and it's just you and your house. There's not a family in it yet. That's, that's the next thing. It's your house. You, your, your body, the scripture says, is a temple of God. So whatever mud the enemy throws at you or, or, the, or Amalek throws at you or, or the culture throws at you, we ought to be the type of people that one knows what side we're on. Are we on God's side or are we on the enemy's side? And whenever that junk or that mud comes our way, we have to be as watchmen standing at the door of our soul and we're throwing that junk back at the enemy. I'm not letting that into my mind. I'm not letting that into the way that I do things. I'm not allowing the culture to form me. I'm getting rid of this junk whenever it comes my way because it will come your way every single day on social media, on Netflix, on the things that we watch, the conversations we have on a regular basis, we ought to throw that junk back whenever it comes at us. So watch your soul, man. Like it's really, be careful about what you're doing and what you're partaking in and the things that you're reading, the documents, the books, the, the practices that you're partaking in. Contend for your own soul. Another passage of scripture says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, the high, for, you know, for, for those that are in college or those that are in high school, it's like, man, it's got to not be mom and dad's faith anymore, right? It's got to be yours at some point. Mom's not going to be there. Dad's not going to be there. We will contend for you on, at a distance at a particular age, but at, at, there comes a point where it's just you and God, man, and you have to work your own salvation out. I want to just throw out a couple of scriptures. Psalm 143 says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Because you see, as you partner with God, be confident that his spirit, his presence, we're for presence here, his spirit will lead you. And I'll prove it to you in scripture. I had a lot of different scripture. I didn't, have to, I didn't want to throw all of them in there because we could have just been going for a while on all the scriptures that say, he leads me, his spirit leads me, his spirit guides me. I'll read again, Psalm 143, teach me to do your will for you are my God and may your good spirit lead me on level ground. John 16 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said. And I'm all about intellect. And I'm all about academics. But at the end of the day, it is the spirit of the living God that's going to teach you. Romans 8 says, for all who are led by the spirit. Galatians says, but I say, walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5 says, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Romans 8, 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself 
intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been in those moments, by the way, where it's been, you just are like knocked down on your face, and the only thing that could come out are groanings, tears, anguish, and the scripture says that that's the spirit of God intercedes for you in those deep, deep, desperate moments. But I just think we live in a day where we don't need to be desperate for God anymore. Man, just, we're, everything's good, man. I got everything good. I'm a SoCal. You know, it's fun. I go to the beach and I want. I got everything that I need. I'm, I, it's good, man. But it's like, no, it's not. We ought to be desperate for the things of God, for his presence in our life. Second Peter says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Listen to this, this is important. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That tells me, my Bible says, he will speak to you and lead you. Not man, he will. When all hell breaks loose and you have no idea where to go, you ought to contend for spiritual waking in your own soul so that he would lead you and guide you. God, what's next? Spirit of God, I'm desperate. I need to know. You need to show me. And oftentimes it takes a really long time because that might be his answer. Wait, be patient. We're not good with that part either. Contend for your soul, church, please. I am as well. And then the personal turns also into your family. just want to hit on this for a brief moment. You must. I can't say it anymore with fervent, like, anguish, like, expectation and almost like the fear of God. We must contend for our family. Do you know what your children are learning when they go off to school in elementary? We have a teacher here. Um, they sent me a picture as they were in orientation for their fourth and fifth graders. I just want to let you know, this is, this is what's out there right now. And it said, how to have unwanted or wanted consent. They were teaching in an assembly to fourth and fifth graders, what does it mean to consent sexually? Unwanted or wanted. I'll just leave that there. But we ought to be contending for the souls of our children as they go off into the schools. I'm not dishing the schools. My wife has her, she's ready to go, but we have children. We have plenty of teachers here. So the teachers ought to be contending with arms lifted high. Man, God, you got to give me wisdom and discernment and conviction to how to speak and how to teach and how to talk in the culture that we're living in. And I have to be led by you, God. It cannot be on my own merit. I cannot do it on my own. We've tried, haven't we? And it doesn't end well when we try, but it does not by my spirit, or not by my power or strength, but by my spirit, says God. Stand at the door. Let me give this analogy. This, this is, this is the, not the better one, but this is for your family. Stand at the door of your home and make sure you know all that is coming in. I'll never, I don't want to go into politics. That's not this type of church. I'm massively convicted on it, but I do not believe it, it is a part of the kingdom of heaven. I don't care if you're on the left or if you're on the right. I don't care if you are for vaccine or for not vaccine. But we have to get out of the jargon of, of depending on a certain ideology that becomes an idol. The only idol I have is Jesus. 
He is the only one I worship. He is the only Lord. And so thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You are the king of a particular kingdom. And yes, I have citizenship here in America, but I have no allegiance to a particular party. And I'm convicted. I'm terrified, by the way, at this in our community. May we be the type of people that doesn't contend for a political agenda, but contends for his agenda. That's my conviction, man. So I'm going to stand at the door. I'll be honest, politically, there's things that I don't agree on. So me and Kelly, as priests of our home, will stand at our door and say, no, you cannot come in. That mud goes back. That junk does not belong here. We will love you. We will take care of you. We will show you the spirit of God. But there comes a point where you have to contend for your home for spiritual awakening in your family, in your children. And so we ought to wake up, man, because the enemy's coming with all his schemes and all his doctrine and all his ideologies. And if we're not careful, if our face isn't to the ground, if we're not desperate before God saying, God, I need a fresh word. I need an anointing. I need a perspective. I don't know how to talk about these things with my children. I don't even know if they should go to public school or homeschool or no school. I have no idea. But I do know that you are the living God and you will lead me. And so I contend for spiritual awakening. Kelly and I have that conversation all the time, by the way. We just will not allow anything that is unbiblical. The scripture says in 1 Samuel, as for me and my house, for Kelly and I, we will serve the Lord. So our little ones, they're going to grow up in church. I'm going to teach. I fear the PK thing, pastor's kid. (laughs) but hey, if I'm led by the Spirit, then I'm going to be a healthy father. If I'm led by the Spirit, if if I'm led by my Spirit, forget it, man. And that's why, by the way, that's why I need you. I need the elders in the room. I need the gray hairs in the room to say, whoa, 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 man, slow down. You're not even contending for your family anymore. You're contending for you. You're not even contending for the kingdom of God. You're contending for another kingdom that I'm not aware of. And if you keep going down that route... Good luck. That's why I need you and you need me. We need each other. You guys good? Sorry, I'm like getting all, getting all excited. <laughs> so one is personal, you, your soul. The other is your family, okay? God's presence, his spirit is to bring redemption. Here's the next one. We partner with God in two ways. The first is personal. The next, which I would argue is the next mature stage, it is The other most important thing is that we partner with God in his kingdom. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. So God's presence, his spirit, is to bring redemption and restoration to all four corners of the world. That that is God's agenda, by the way. From the moment of creation, that was his mindset. How do I bring redemption to humanity? And there was the fall. And then there was a man named Abram. And so he said, Abraham, I'm going to put you on fire for generations to come and through your seed, Abraham, Jesus, and us because we're a part of his family, there will be redemption and restoration in my name through my people. And by the way, if we don't do it, Romans says the rocks will do it. The world, the, the, the nature around us, not the universe. What do we do with the universe? What's the universe saying? No, like, yeah, the universe is saying something. And I think it's God trying to wake us up that if you don't do anything, if we don't worship, if we don't cry out to him, if we don't bring his kingdom, then the the earth will do it. 
and we'll have some earthquakes. Did you wake up to that yesterday? I was like, whoa, what's going on? And then I'm like waiting for a little bit. It's coming, and then it didn't come. It's like, all right. It's just a warning from God. Be ready. No, that's over spiritual. <laughs> so we partner with God to bring his restoration. Are you with me on that? This is why we pray, by the way, okay, for presence. This is why we pray for spiritual awakening in our church. I'm asking that every person in this community would begin to pray for spiritual awakening, not only in your lives, but in the lives of our community here. Because if we don't get it right, how are we going to do it out there? The church is not a country club to just have fun and enjoy each other and do nothing with it. The church sends us on mission by his spirit to change a world, to change a culture, not to be about the culture, but to be counter-cultural. This is why we must become aware of our own salvation and doctrine. This is where we become what? Salt and light to a world that is seeking to find life. So what do we believe here at Coin Church? We believe in the powerful presence of the Spirit of God. It is my conviction. It is a powerful presence. It is the greatest presence and force on planet Earth, not just Earth, in the universe and in the cosmos. If you follow Jesus, if you know him, if you've been baptized in his love, you have the greatest force in you and through you, desiring to use you. Did you know that? Do we take that serious here? So that's why when things are going wrong in my life, I have to contend for the ground of my mind. Wait a second, that's not what God's word says. I know what the spirit of God says through his word, and so I'm gonna stand in that with faith, with hope, and with trust. And I'm gonna move forward in the spirit, which is meaning being spirit-led. So we're called to be a people that seek spiritual awakening. This church, by the way, was birthed out of a deep longing for spiritual awakening. I want to read this in Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the depths of the earth. In 2012 September, I was, I don't know, like 18, I was 19. Graduated high school in 19. I was 19 because I did kindergarten twice. I was a mama's boy. So my mom had to hold me back twice. Anyway, 2012, I was 19 years old. I went off to Bible school. I was contending for a new future. I just wanted something fresh. I wanted something new. I wanted to get away from my family of origin. I wanted to be in a brand new land, sort of like Moses. I saw myself. I was like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to go like Abraham. I'm going to go on an adventure. And I'll never forget, in September, I moved in in August. In September, we would have gatherings, and there would just be opening in the chapel just to come and to get prayed for, to come and receive the power of God, to come and just stand in his presence and contend for a spiritual awakening. And I'll never forget there are moments in my life, it's my experience, but man, I just got radically, I was radically encountered by God's presence in a, in a really supernatural way. And I knew in that moment I was called to be a pastor. God made it crystal clear to me. I had other plans. I wanted to go and do sports medicine. I wanted to have a house at the beach. I wanted to, you know, do that whole kinesiology and keep going all the way down the road. I wanted to go to Van. I wanted to do all of that and be by the beach, not in the Inland Empire. <laughs> but God had other plans. You see, it's not my story. It's God's story. But I'll tell you this. The moment that I felt that empowerment, 
okay? The moment there was a massive shift in me. You can ask Kelly. She knew the Sammy before that shift. And there was a transforming that took place in a moment. My sin didn't dissipate, but my mind and my soul was at a whole nother hindsight with God. And I'll never forget, there were moments, 12, 1, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, I would go up in the upper halls where it was vacant and it was quiet, and I would contend the ground. I would get on my knees. I would cry before God. I would just worship him, and I would pray that he would move in my life, that he would speak to me, that he would call me to something. I was so obsessed with the call. God, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in my life? And it was in those moments that I was sent by the Holy Spirit, not to, and by the way, into an unknown world. I had no idea what God was calling me to, but I knew he called me. And just like the story of Acts, when the Spirit of God hits you, when you really, and it's experience, yes, but when you're filled sometimes, for other people it's different experiences, but there's just something that you know. Man, there is a shift in me that I'm called to something. But for me, it was, it was pastoral uh, ministry. That was the call. And I was terrified, by the way, because I thought of the money. Is, it, immediately, I'll just be honest, immediately I was like, oh, Lord, like, what does that look like? <laughs> but when you're called to something, nothing, none of that matters, man. It gets hard, but that doesn't matter at the end of the day. Why? Because I was fully, here's the thing, I was fully surrendered to God. You have to get to a point where you become, you become fully surrendered. And in that surrendering, you know, what, you know what did it for me? Prayer. On my face, on my knees, contending for a spiritual awakening in my soul. In prayer, fervent prayer. So when I looked at Moses, I had my hands held high, and I just, I needed to keep it high because the, the more that I had my hands to him, the more I acknowledged and worshiped him, the more that, more that I got on my knees before God, the more that I could feel a shift in my soul as he moved me to the call that he's called me to. And it has not been easy, and I know it hasn't been easy for you too, but we must then contend for spiritual awakening. We must be about the presence because it's the presence of God that will move you with a greater force that you could ever imagine. I developed an appetite for the presence of God, for his church, for his mission, for the lost. I developed an appetite for the gospel and I knew I was called, but it came from a place of desperation. My question to you this morning is, are you desperate for God, man? Are you? What's, what's so unfair, in my opinion, this just happens naturally, but the more we mature in him, we should notice this. We're not desperate for him when we're at the mountaintop. We're not, because it's good. Why do I have to contend for ground when I'm up here? But the moment we hit rock bottom, the moment, the moment Amalek starts to contend and starts winning ground on you, our hands go back up. Desperate for God again. My prayer is that you in radical discipleship would never go back to that again. That you would say, it does not matter if I'm at the mountaintop or if I'm at the valley low. I will worship God all the more. In this next year and for years to come, we will pray fervently for an outpouring of the Spirit. That brings revival to the church and a spiritual awakening in the larger context. I desperately desire to be a part of a church community that honors God's presence. I do, personally. So let's move over um, to the Gospel of Mark. Okay, I'm going I'm to finish with this. You, you want to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark? 
Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew, Mark. You guys doing good? This is a phenomenal story here. Okay, notice really quick, just a biblical exegesis. Um, look at, you know, we're in chapter 9. See where it says the transfiguration? Uh, just a couple of verses up. This is like the mountaintop valley, by the way, where Jesus takes the three, Peter, James, and John, and they experience God in a whole other way. He's transfigured. Elijah's there. Moses is there. They're talking to him, and there's like this powerful God high moment. And then they come down the mountain, and it says this in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with them, with the disciples. There those teachers of the law go, right? As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asks. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked for your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. And Jesus responds, and he says this, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Notice his demeanor, calm, incredibly non-anxious. He's not worried. He's not stressed, incredibly calm. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming in the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or whatever to kill him. This demonic oppression is literally trying to kill this boy. Throwing him in the fire, throwing him in the, just trying to just devour him because that's the enemy's goal, right? To kill, steal, and destroy your life. But if you can't do anything, take pity on us and help us, the father says. And then Jesus, I love his response. If you can, he says, like what? Everything is possible for those who believe. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was coming to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet and stood up. And watch this. This is it. After Jesus had gone indoors with the disciples, they, they said, why couldn't we drive that spirit out, Jesus? And he said, this kind can only come out by prayer. There's other um, translations that say this come out by prayer and fasting. But fasting was added a few hundred years later from the original text, by the way. So I'm gonna, yes, the fasting part, but I'm going to really press into the original language that Mark wrote. Jesus said this, by the way. Notice a couple of things. This unbelieving generation. We, I would argue, are living in an unbelieving generation. And notice that it's a boy. Kind of the pillar of generation and generation and generation. A young boy, right, that is, is literally oppressed by the enemy, that this kind is taking over him and trying to kill him. 
And so Jesus responds, this, this generation is a part of this kind that is unbelieving. And so we ought to be the type of people then, Lord, help me in my unbelief. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is not a force to be wielded, but a person to be enjoyed and experienced. I see three things in this passage, and then we're done. The first, we see an unbelieving generation, and this is happening right now around us, by the way. All we have to do is go into our elementary schools, and then the junior high, and then the high school, and you will see there is an unbelieving generation. All we have to do is look around our social media platforms on TikTok, which I can't stand, and Instagram. I'm kind of not standing it either. The next is Jesus calls us to have faith and have hope and trust in him. And then the last is this kind only comes out by what? What does it say? Prayer. Prayer. Contending for spiritual awakening. I'll be honest, I don't know where you're at with prayer. But if your son has a spiritual demonic demon on him, you'll start praying. If your generation, if our generation starts falling left and right to where there's no more seats that are taken and there's no more people being discipled and the people that we meet at the coffee shop and the people that we're gathering with on a weekly basis say, I want nothing to do with that Jesus then this kind of generation is unbelieving. So we then, as the church, what do we do? We contend ground. And we don't do it out there in the battle. Where do we do it? With Moses and Her and Ur and Aaron. And we lift our hands up. This is where we fight God's battles because this is God's battle, by the way. This isn't my battle. This isn't your battle to fight. It is God's battle. And so if it's God's battle for your child, then let it be God's battle. If it's God's battle for the world, then let it be God's. But may we partner with him. So we need to be trained to know that it's his, not ours. But we say, God, I will contend for you on this kind. And this kind, Jesus told us, only comes out by prayer. So I want to be a type of a a part of a community that contends for spiritual awakening, not just in your life, but in the life of those around us, in our children's life. You know, I pray that every night with Lenny, I look in her eyes, and I know she's going to be 25 one day. I'm not naive of that. I know I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, which I already do, by the way. And I'm just like, man, God, what, what do I need to do, Father? I know I don't have control of her life, but I have control of my life. I want Lenya to wake up to a father when she comes downstairs and sees her father with the father. I'm so convicted of that lady. I told Kel, I'm like, we need to start waking up at five in the morning. I don't care. And just contend for spiritual awakening in our home. Because I want my daughters to see this is not just a, a platform thing. This is not just a microphone thing. This is a real-life relationship, Lenya. A real-life relationship, Zoe, that we contend and we battle and we fight. But it's not our battle. It's God's. And so may we partner with him. May we be led by the Spirit. And I pray that for you, church, honestly. that this I say this all the time, that this isn't a game. Because hell is real. And the darts of the enemy are incredibly painful. And so what do we do? 
as a watchman, we say, no, no, no. This, this, is, this is my territory that God has given me. I'm, t- I'm contending for this. So no, enemy, you don't have authority in here. Those thoughts, not here. Those, that, that understanding, not here. Those movies on Netflix, not here. Honestly, like we, we got to, that junk, I'm throwing it back out in the world. And so what does that require? It requires a man or a woman on their face before God saying, God, I need a spiritual awakening. I need to be led by your spirit. I need to know your presence so that it changes me and transforms me from the inside out. Are you with me with that? Can we be a part of that type of a vision? Do you believe that? And by the way, I hope you don't miss this. I'm not forsaking orthodoxy for supernatural movement. I believe they're together. I'm convicted of that. I'm not saying, because if we go one side, all spirit, all presence, all speaking in tongues and all prophecies, and we have no orthodoxy and no recollection of the spirit of God, then we've missed it. And by the way, you can't even have both to be a true disciple of Jesus. I've seen it. I know people who are all spirited out, and it's a good thing. And they speak in tongues, and they prophesy, and they do those things. I am for all of those things, but I still know that there's something about the discipleship and formation of Jesus that is wrong and off here. So, Holy Spirit, what are are we missing? I also know people that know this thing by, like, the back of their hand, man. And they they can point it back at you, and they can read it to you, and they know every verse and every chapter, and they know the eisegesis and exegesis and context, but their discipleship towards Jesus is off. I don't want that in my soul. So I want to contend for both lands, both grounds, but centered in the person of Jesus. Can we be a part of that community? That's the one I want to be a part of, for his presence for his presence. Amen?